This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. We're doing it live from the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino in preparation for Monday Night Football, Rams and 49ers. You can see it right here in one of the many TV screens that they have. You can get some fantastic food. They have a bunch of specials going on, drink specials and food specials going on right now. And a lot of people here hanging out. So definitely uh, be a part of that. Come and hang out, and we'll get you hooked up with some of the many prizes we have. We have T-shirts. We have cups. We have koozies. We've got some Mardi Gras-style Raider beads. We've got a calendar for 2022, so you can start planning out your calendar. You can start planning out your year of 2022. By the way, it's a Hooters calendar, so, again, you can start to plan out your year, find out what your best month of the year may be. I'm not the only one who does that. I'm not, I refuse to believe I'm the only one who checks out what month's going to be the best one of, of, my, of next year. Everyone does it. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. Just saying. I got all the hookup for you. That's what I mean. Come on by and uh, see us, and we're going to get you taken care of in a major way. Now, uh, we've had a lot of passionate thoughts and a lot of passionate uh, feeling, a very emotional first hour of the show. And I say emotional, not tears, but just uh, a lot of passion from Raider Nation. We also had Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and uh, ESPN Las Vegas join us and tell us what he thought about the game on Sunday night. Also gave us his thoughts on UNLV as they're uh, on a two-game winning streak. So uh, that was some good stuff from Ed. We'll have Ted Nguyen from The Athletic do a little film breakdown with us at 3.30. But I wanted to address Matt in Hoboken's call. He had a very good call at the end of the first hour, and he had a lot of different subjects he talked about. And I kind of want to go through it, and I'm going to go through as quickly as possible, but it's, you know, me, so it probably won't be as quickly as most people would like. But one, he said that the Raiders season ended when they lost Gruden. And, you know, immediately out the, the gates – they picked up two wins, and everyone thought Rich Basaccia was the end-all, be-all. And I remember I immediately said, no matter what happens, the Raiders' best job and their, their responsibility is to make sure that they go and do a full-blown search and make a good quality decision on what they do with the head coaching job moving forward. But everybody was ready to just go ahead and, and pass the reins on to Rich Basaccia. But Matt brought up a good point about head coaching and – experience against coaches like Andy Reid who have been doing it for many, many moons. And this is not a, a shot at Rich Basaccia because he's been doing it for many moons as well, but just not the head coach. Certain times you need to have that guy that's had that, that full-blown experience. Sometimes you need to have that, like he said, big dog coach going up against a big dog. Now, I will say John Gruden wasn't very successful against Andy Reid in his time with the Raiders the second time. He just wasn't. But at least he knew what he was kind of up against, and he tried to build this team that they currently have to go up against the Chiefs and compete with their speed. And I don't know if I was the only one who saw how fast they looked last night. The Chiefs looked like they were playing in, in, in 1.5 speed and the Raiders were playing at 1. It just looked like they were just just a different 
like they were a track team out there. You know, they just their speed was noticeably different to me. So I'm not even saying that it has to be John Gruden to go up against Andy Reid, but I do think you need a coach with some skins on the wall, a little bit of experience that knows what they're up against and knows what a guy like Andy Reid could be thinking. So I understand where Matt's coming from there. Um, that The stadium situation that Matt was talking about with the Chiefs fans going to be there and any other fan base, look, especially early on in the infancy, infant, infantry, whatever, in the young time of the, the stadium. <laughs> That's what happens when I try to use words. And sometimes, yeah, exactly. It's not a word I use all the time. In the infancy. But, yeah. yeah, fine. You know what I mean. <laughs> In those periods of times, you're going to see other fan bases, a lot of other fan bases show up because they want to check it out. Now, you know, it's the same thing that I experienced when I was in Texas and the Cowboys opened up Jerry's World, Jerry's World 2.0. I mean, everyone wanted to go there. Every fan base wanted to go there. And the Cowboys weren't a great team. They're playing a lot better now, but they weren't a great team then, so it opened the door for a lot of folks to say, hey, my favorite team's playing them. Let's go check it out. It looks like an awesome stadium. We'll take a trip, and they'll do it. Well, Vegas is a lot more desirable to hang out in than Dallas. I'm sorry, no, no disrespectful. Not being disrespectful to anybody from Dallas. I spent a lot of time in, in Texas, so I know. There's just a lot more entertainment here in Vegas than there is in Dallas. So you're going to get that, and the one way you could try to eliminate it is if the home team is really sticking good. But even then, it's going to be hard. Yeah, Q, because I'll add to this, too. And, and Andy Reid, when he came to the podium yesterday after the game, one of the first things he says, you know, the guys try hard, you know, great game, you know, get it all the coach be out of the way. But he's like, and credit to the fans. Right. He was like, yeah, the fan. He was like, a lot of red. He was like, I'm glad that our fans came out. Yep. It, that was, it almost felt like a home game for him, the way, he, the way he was crediting the fans for how much they impacted the game. Right. No, and they, they were there. I mean, hell, the national anthem, right at the end of the national anthem. Yes, Tyron Matthew also mentioned that as well. Like, they weren't expecting that. Um, I, I wouldn't expect it. I was sitting in the press box, and I looked. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Now, I've heard them do that on the road. I was at the Super Bowl when they played the, the 49ers in, in uh, Miami, and they, uh, they won, matter of fact. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, at the end of that, there were so many Chiefs fans there that when they're doing the national anthem, and uh, what do they say, the home of the – and everyone goes, Chiefs. That, they did that, and they did that last night, and it was very noticeable. And I thought, whoa, that's a lot of fans. But that, I'm sorry, that's just something that you got to deal with. There's absolutely nothing you could do about that. The only th way you could try to combat that, like I said, is if the team is so stinking good that, teams, that, that other teams' fans don't want to travel and waste their money and go see an L. I mean, that's just simple as that. Simple as that. And that'll wear out in a few, few seasons once, you know, once a lot of those Chiefs fans witnessed what they saw last night. They're probably about no. Nah, I think after what they witnessed last night, you pack that you pack a good weekend into it, and you're like, hey, we might. Yeah, but it's not it's not as it's not as pressing as a need. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you might decide, hey, this is going to be a yearly thing we're going to do. You could do that, but it also is not something that is top of priority anymore because you've been there, done that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there's it sounds good right now. Oh, we're going to do this every single year, but you probably won't. You know, because you've already been there, done that, and at some point it's not really that big a deal anymore. It's kind of like living in Las Vegas. It's great. It's awesome. I love it. But, you know, it's not like, oh, my God, I live in Las Vegas. Let me go party. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that. But everyone that does it at first is like, oh, that's cool. Let's go do this. You know, at least if you move here. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just different, I, I feel. But that's just me. And jersey swaps. That's just the – That's just the. I, and I don't know how old Matt and Hoboken is, but I'm assuming you're probably about 40-something because I'll tell you, as a 45-year-old, I don't like it either. 
I don't like seeing the guys swap jerseys and be all buddy-buddy afterwards. But, look, it's what it is. It's what these players do now. Back in the day, you would have never seen a Chiefs player and a Raider player after a game, especially a game where the Raiders got beat like they did, be out there swapping jerseys or even hanging out. I mean, it was a bitter, bitter rivalry. That's why a lot of times in sports, rivalries are dead, especially in professional sports. We talk about it. We hype up the rivalries more than anyone. There's, there's rivalries in college because these co- collegiates aren't getting paid. You know, like the Chuck Wagon, when he goes to Reno, guess what? He wants to beat the brakes off of Nevada. He does. Professionals are just like, ah, eh, that's my buddy. It's just, it's just not the same anymore as it used to be. It just isn't. And, I, I mean, I, DeMond, you say it all the time. Oh, Q, old man, get off, that, uh, off my lawn. That's what that whole jersey swap thing is. That's, that's part of what guys do now. And, hey, look, man, that's what they do. I, I, I can't get mad at them. Because it is not a big deal to me. Right, it's not a big deal to you because you're a, a new booty and, and you probably really never even experienced the who's the, I mean one who's the Titans big time rival. I say the Colts. Okay, but it's not a big time rival. No, it's yeah, it's it's, it's not. It's be- just whatever. But I think that's that's part of moving the team from Houston and right. then, like this past this past you know like twenty years where they just haven't right. had any like rivalry to speak of with the Colts or the Texans. Right, or exactly. Jack, and who's going to say Jacksonville is their, their rival? Right. I mean, you know, you look at the AFC South and you think, oh, there's not really any rivalries there. But I bet you, as a UNLV alum, you can think of a rival real quick. Yeah, I don't like UNR. <laughs> See? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, professional sports and college sports are totally different. Yeah, but it's also it's the matter of, like, these guys are just getting paid. It's like, for some of these guys, like, you can love football all you want, but, like, hey, for some people, it's just a job. Right, hey, exactly. Hey, this, this is technically a co-worker. We both work in the, for, in we, the NFL. You know what's funny is, and this is this is also just me, and I'm, I can only speak for me, and I'll always ever just speak for me. Radio, back in the day, we used to have what we call radio wars. Like, if you worked for the competition, we hated you. Straight up. That's, I, that's the era I grew up in. I grew up in the era of working for Wild 94.9 in the Bay when KML was our enemy. I love KML, but they were my enemy because I worked for Wild. And that's just how it was. And if you worked for the enemy, it was the hell with you. We can't stand you as long as you're working for them. Now, if you come over to us, cool. You know, that's just how it was. I, I've, I've gotten into, even when I was in Fresno, Q97 and B95, they beefed because they were both two hip-hop stations, both competing for the same – same audience, and I didn't. I couldn't stand anyone who worked for B ninety five. Anybody. It's just that was the nature of the beast. Now it's not like that. Now the guys hang out with each other. They're cool with each other, and that's fine. It's, it, it, everyone evolves. That's just what it is. But in my mind, I'm not supposed to be cool with that dude because he works for the competition. Simple as that. I remember I got into a beef with this dude. He went by Money Mike in, in Fresno. He was on B95, and I was on Q97, and I dogged the mess out of that dude in the barbershop. He was trying to be cool to me. He was an old school cat. He was trying to be cool to me, and I, was, I looked at him like, how dare you speak to me? You work for the competition. So you was mean to an old man just I was. Where he worked I was at? a jerk. I was. I was a straight-up jerk. Old man, hey, young brother, how you doing? You yeah. Like, man, no, he tried to, to give me, me props. He tried mm. to give me props. I walked in the barbershop. He like, said, what you doing over there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you. yeah. I, I was a jerk to him. Man. I have no problem admitting that. Man, you're you're but, trying to make me feel bad, and I don't feel bad. That's hey, young who I brother, am. I like what you're doing over there. Yo, we all we got. And you're like, man. We That's you. what he said. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. And you know what I called him? Because his name was Money Mike. I called him, you ain't Money Mike. You're counterfeit Bill. <laughs> I disrespected the hell out of him. You damn right I did. That's how it was. And that goes back to what I'm talking about with jersey swaps. Let, let some of them okay. You tell me uh, 
Art Shell, who was on the on the field in his Hall of Fame jacket before the game, you telling me that he would have been out there swapping jerseys with a Chiefs offensive lineman after their game back in the day? Hell no. Nah. It wouldn't have happened. But that's, again, everything evolves, man. Everything changes. We're not all the same people that we were in, you know, the late 90s, the early 2000s, late 80s. I mean, it's just everything evolves. The game evolves. People evolve. You know, uh, uh, AAU has a lot to do with it. People, you know, they, they play sports with each other and, and and they know each other from their neighborhoods. I mean, it's just – and really, as I'm older now, I realize that me being a jerk to another guy at a radio station was probably very immature of me. But in my brain, as I was kind of brainwashed to think that way, that that's how you're supposed to think, that's what I was de- – hey, I was down. You know what they say? You got to show that you're down for the team. That's who I was. I was ride or die. You know, hey, ask Q to do it. Q will do it. Yeah, I would. I'll tell you right now, and, I'll, and then I'll move on as I'm on my soapbox. We one time in San Francisco, we were at the Oakland Coliseum, and it was a concert, and it was a concert open to every radio station. So it was like Wild was there, KML was there, and there was a couple other little pop stations that were there as well. We, and it wasn't me, it was another guy that worked with me, saw the KML van and literally went and popped the tire of it. So when they came out of the concert, they couldn't leave. They were stuck. But that's how dirty we were. That's how dirty the whole game was because that's the enemy. You can't, you know, and that's, that's the way that we were trained to think. So, you know, going back to Matt's call about swapping jerseys, like, man, that would have never happened back in the day. I don't want to see a, my enemy's jersey hanging up in my house. That's the last thing they want to do. But it's a different day. It's a different time. So that's what it is. 316 is the time. Do I got another call, Damon, <laughs> now that I got on my soapbox? Rich in Oakland. He knows about KML. He knows about Wild. Rich in Oakland, what's on your mind, my man? Hey, what's happening, Q? Chilling, man. You all right? Yeah, man. It's a really, really ugly loss last night. And, uh, man, we got bamboozled once again. Three years in a row, the collapse might be here yet again. And the only thing, oh, man, this team, man, it's, it's tough to love this team so much. And it's a thin line between love and hate, Q. Yeah. And watching this team come out yesterday with that effort, you know, 87 yards on offense in the first half is unacceptable. Let's not – I understand in the past when, when Derek was balling the first few weeks, you know, he had this team on his back. He's a great man, God-fearing man. I respect him. I, I gave him his props when he was balling. Past couple weeks, he ain't getting the job done. And we're in year eight. One thing about Derek Carr, the pass rush gets at your feet, bro. I seen him throw himself on the ground, Q. That's completely unacceptable. We need a mobile quarterback. It's been year eight. I think it's just not working out between us. It's like a relationship. Sometimes you have to part ways for the betterness of both people. You know, it'll be better for the Raiders. It'll be better for Derek, honestly. But it's not all on him. Right. Josh Jacobs, first-round pick. Running back, where are you at, bro? You get in two yards of carry and get every single time. And the O-line's been playing better at that, and Jacobs just don't got it. And then you get, you get hit once, you call yourself out the game. Like, come on, bro. What's going on here? What, what, what's going on? Where are our superstars on this team? Where are the people? Where is the leadership? You know, Rich Passaccia, love the man, in over his head. We're going to have to get a new coach. 
We're going to have to get a new quarterback. We might have to get a new GM, Mayock. You know, all, since 2018, five first-round picks. Not one of them will be signed to a second contract. Not even Josh Jacobs. Not even Jonathan Abram. It's looking ugly, man. It's looking ugly, and I ain't trying to, you know, be all doom and gloom. But I got to keep it 100, man. I love this team, and I didn't been through it all for the past 20 years with this team. So I have a right to talk about this. You know, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. We, who, how many knows, I mean, who knows how many games we might win, but we have to blow it up. Blow it up completely, Q. Get a new GM, get a new quarterback, get a new coach, get a new system. We have to do something, man. Vegas is not going to put up with a loser. So they're going to have to do something. And these calls from these refs, these refs are – Max Crosby got tackled yesterday yeah. and no call on a fourth down. That's disrespectful. I hope this is not the case, but it might be the NFL wanting to push Mark Davis to sell the team. I hope that's not the case. But we'll see what happens. But besides that, life is great. Let's <laughs> not let this team bring us down. I love what you're doing, Q. I appreciate you. You have a great day, brother. All right, man, you too. I thank you for the call. And, uh, I, again, you can hear the frustration in your voice and totally understood, you know, and, and that's what happens when – that's what happens when, you know, teams lose, especially when you have expectations. Teams are going to lose, and it, it's just going to get to the point where you get frustrated. And I've said this so many times, and I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but, man, after so many losses, you're just like, what are you doing here? I get it. You know, and that's – going back to, you know, just talking about moving forward, that's why this game coming up, is so stinking important. I mean, I, I don't call games m must wins when you're not mathematically, you know, uh, uh, still in in it. But man, it's about as close as it as it gets, right? It really feels like it's a must win just for the morale of the team, just to get them back to where uh, where they are. I uh, got a tweet from Talk James said this guy on the radio talking about blowing up this team is a fool, and I I understand where you're coming from because there's a lot of talent on the team. But you just don't know what the plan is moving forward, depending on how this season ends. Uh, you know, they have eight games guaranteed. They have an opportunity to still make the playoffs. I mean, look, we're talking about this, and the division is so tight still. They could turn this thing around and go on a run, and all of a sudden we're looking back and being like, man, this was great. You know, but right now there's so many questions, and until you're proven wrong in your assessment, you feel like, hey, the sky is falling. So you're hoping that you see a point where the sky is not falling. That's a uh, – you know, that's just something that you have. they have to go out there and they have to do on their own. Uh, one text from All Day Raider 8 said, Q, you're right. Carr was clearly frustrated. You can see, for one, he's just tired of getting his butt handed to him by the Chiefs. And two, it seems every single time this team takes a step in the right direction or builds some momentum, something always happens to take us two steps back and slow us down. From a broken ankle to kneeling for the anthem to losing to coach midseason and now a horrible tragedy. Well, Derek Carr, welcome to the nation where we don't do anything easy, but it will mean that much more if you can get us to the mountaintop. Keep your chin up, nation. We're built for this. That's from All Day Raider A. And I think, honestly, and I can't speak for Derek Carr. I will never try to speak for anyone but myself. I think that that's his motivation is knowing everything that's going on and how he'll feel if and when he can hoist one of them trophies up there, what it will feel like. You know, I mean, when you imagine things in your head and you haven't quite accomplished them yet, you kind of imagine what it would feel like, right? And I think that that's how he, he's really wired. I think he's wired to say, when I get this, when I accomplish this, this is how I'm going to feel. 
Like one of my big goals was to get here in Las Vegas and do radio. And in my mind, I envisioned what it was going to be like once I got there because that was what, what the goal was. You know, and even before that, going back to just being on the radio full time instead of being an overnight dude, you know, or just a street team guy. I imagine doing what it's going to feel like when I get that moment, when I crack that mic, when I do this, when I do that, when I do the other. You know what I mean? Like that's stuff that, at least for me, drives me is to think of the next step. I'm, I, I got goals in my head right now that I'm like, man, it's going to be awesome when I could buy that Scarface house. <laughs> you know? Now, I'm not saying that that's a good goal. I'm not saying that that's, I'm not saying that that's something that, you know, it, it should be motivating to everybody, but I'm, I'm wired differently. You know, so, so you know, I got that uh, that house of Scarface will be proud of. I got that in, in my mind, that vision, how it's going to feel when I walk in and I say, the world is mine. You know, and if I ever say that, cool. If I don't, well, that's all right, too. Let's talk to our guy, Lamont, real quick before we take a break. Lamont, what's on your mind? Oh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, please don't hang up because I'm driving. And, uh, okay. I won't be able to hear your response. But uh, I was going to piggyback off the... Caller that just called and uh, I already had something to say, kind of, sort of what he said. But uh, without Carr, we are uh, the Lions or the Texans without John Watson. Right. What I mean by that is uh, we got a bunch of first-round draft busts that will not be on the roster. We got a bunch of one-year players, so technically the roster is already blown up. They won't be here next year. They haven't played well enough. Stacey Hayward is getting old. Perriman is a liability in coverage. Middleton has already underplayed his contract. Kenyon Drake getting too much money. Mariota getting too much money. We got four running backs and five wide receivers in a passing area. Carr has no weapons. Waller is not a number one. He gets taken out way too easy. In his own head, or they're doing it. I don't know which one it is. I think it's a little bit of both. That was my statement. My question is, the Rams got Odell Beckham. We got Deshaun. The Rams already said they're letting him return punt. This is before the Robert Woods injury. Right. So that shows that he still has something. And now he's the starter with the Robert Woods injury. Right. So my question is, what is the thought process in picking the Sean Jackson over Odell Beckham when we the only receivers we have are very young and not very productive, other than Renfro, who is a slot? All right, thank you for the call. I do appreciate you. Just to answer your question real quick, one, it was Odell Beckham Jr.'s uh, decision where he went. So it's not like the Raiders could just say, now if they went and drafted him off of, or grabbed him off of waivers, that'd be one thing, but then you have to pay him the contract that he was, he was uh, owed. So it's not like the Raiders could just say, hey, you're coming with us, and like tag, you're it. I mean, that, that wasn't the case. He decided he wanted to go to the Rams. That was the team he wanted to play for. I, I personally said I thought that Deshaun was a better fit because Odell just came from a situation where he, he, wanted, he wanted more targets, and I don't think that there's enough targets for Odell on the Raiders. Now, 
given the situation and what you're just talking about, maybe there is. Maybe there was enough. You know, maybe that would have been a guy to open things up. I, that was my reasoning why I didn't think Odell was a good fit. I didn't think he was a good fit with this locker room, just knowing the chemistry that these guys have right now. That, but, that, again, that was just what I was thinking. I'm not saying that that's what the Raiders were thinking. That's what I was thinking. So, I mean, I guess we could always go back and second guess. I mean, you can all go all the way back and say, why didn't the Raiders grab C.D. Lamb and why did they take Henry Ruggs? I mean, it's easy to do ifs and buts at this point. you got to deal with what you got right now. 3.27 is the time. We'll come back and uh, talk to our guy, Ted Nguyen from The Athletic. He'll do a little film breakdown for us. We're at the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. And we are here live at the Oyo Hotel and Casino, the Underground Lounge. We're ready for Monday Night Football Rams and 49ers, and we're talking about what we saw yesterday, Sunday Night Football from the Raiders and Chiefs game. And to help us break it down from a film standpoint is our guy, Ted Nguyen from The Athletic. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. And, Tim, or, and uh, Ted, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you. And I want to start with the defense with you. Last week, actually, I wanted to talk to you, and I want to talk to you about the offensive line because they looked like they were getting better last night. I feel like they took a step back. But the defense, Ted, over 500 yards of total offense they gave up to the Chiefs. How did Gus Bradley's defense get exposed so badly from, from a, a film point of view? Well, you know, most of the Chiefs' struggles throughout the season have been when they faced a lot of two deep shells and teams were just sitting back in coverage and taking away explosives, making them pass short. And they wouldn't do it for long stretches. They would get impatient. Mahomes would try to throw deep and you know, a, a interception or he would toss the ball into coverage and picks happen, tip balls happens. And some of that was bad luck, too. They, they also had some really bad turnover luck. And it just felt like a lot of that bad luck and a lot of the things that they wouldn't do all just got reversed in this game. And Mahomes did a really good job of just throwing the ball on time with anticipation. And he created a lot of yak yards for his guys. He got them the ball in space and threw it through the ball in good locations. And, um, you know, even though um, Gus Bradley didn't play a lot of two deep shells, uh, hit, you know, he, he's just known for playing cover three and he, the Raiders lead the league and playing single high safety types of coverages, but he plays his cover three um, coverages, coverages in a, in a way where he makes guys throw short. And he's done that, you know, his entire career. He, he did that in the chargers and, you know, and and generally he, he's had success. He's kept teams from being explosive, and we, we've seen that this year where the Raiders uh, did a really have done a really good job of keeping down the explosives. Right. And um, the problem was, you know, if you play that style of defense, and you're going to force teams to throw a short, you have to tackle well. And the Raiders just did not do a good job of tackling. And you know, there, there were times where guys were catching, you know, passes three, four yards from the line of scrimmage and, you know, bursting for a, a 12, 15 yard game. And, you know, you just can't live like that. And the, the Raiders got exposed with short passes. And when they got frustrated to play a little tighter coverage, Mahomes hit them deep. Uh, so it was just a myriad of, of really bad, um, plays and kind of the Chiefs luck getting reversed on them all on, on Sunday night. 
on a national stage. <laughs> on yeah. a national stage is when it was uh, it was exposed. And one of the sweet spots that Patrick Mahomes chose to throw the ball early and often last night was anywhere where Jonathan Abram was. I mean, he had a game, and I and I don't want to sound like a guy piling up on him, but he had a rough game last night, Ted. And I felt like he's done really well this season. But was it scheme? Was that how, how you kind of looked at it? Is it just Andy Reid kind of schemed it up so they went and targeted Jonathan Abram? I, I don't know if they were specifically targeting Jonathan Abram. I thought everybody had a pretty tough day in, in coverage, right, in, including Faisan, who, who has played pretty well in relief of Trayvon Mullen. But you know, he, he, it, it's a whole different ball game when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know, eventually, when you have a, a, um, a guy that you know is backing up the starter playing for that long, eventually his weaknesses get gets exposed and. Um, you know, I, I think with um, with Abram, the uh, the play that really kind of um, blew up his stats or made things a little disproportionate was that long bomb to uh, Williams when uh, when Patrick Mahomes broke the pocket and Williams, the, the backup running back, was on a wheel route and he just kind of threw a really bad ball up there that should have been picked off, but uh, Abram misjudged the ball and it, you know he got mossed by second string running back, which is pretty bad, but that kind of blows up the numbers on him. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely didn't think Abram had his best game, um, but I, I think the, um, the Raiders' problems are, are, are a lot bigger than him. Right. No no doubt about it. You're, you're absolutely right. When other guys had uh, ch- chances to make plays, they weren't able to. Uh, multiple people have pointed out to me, well, if Merrick gets an interception and Abram picks off that ball and Hayward picks off that ball, I mean, there's a lot of ifs there. And I know that they had an opportunity to make plays, but it just felt like that the, the Chiefs were two steps ahead of this Raiders' defense throughout the course of the night. Yeah, it was a struggle, and you know, hats off to Andy Reid, who is one of the best play callers, play designers in the league. Uh, you know, I, th- I just thought he had a really good game plan for the Raiders, and and Mahomes, who just looked like a dramatically different quarterback than the rest of the season in this game. He just, you know, would get rid of the ball on his last step, one hitch, you know, bar- barely taking two hitches instead of trying to play hero ball, and that really negated the Raiders' pass rush. It was hard to get to him when he was throwing the ball that quickly. And, you know, when you throw the ball that quickly, you want to, like, you know, like I said before, you want to tackle a guy for a short game, but they just had a lot of trouble doing that. So, um, you know, this was the, 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 the Patrick Mahomes that the league did not want to see. They did not want to see a Patrick Mahomes that could get rid of the ball on time, throw with anticipation, and not play hero ball. And the Raiders ran into that guy on, on Sunday night, and they just got torched. Yeah, no, they did, and that was, like you said, I kept saying, well, when's this Chiefs team going to show up? And they did. Again, they showed up on the national stage. We're talking right now with Ted Nguyen from The Athletic doing a little film breakdown here on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. And, you know, I thought early in the game it felt like that the pass rush wasn't getting Mahomes on the ground, but it was it was rushing him. It was pushing him. It was making him hurry. And then at some point it just kind of slowed down, and that was – I mean, was that just something that Patrick did? Was that the offensive line? Was that a combination? What were your thoughts on how it slowed down throughout the course of the game? Uh, I think it was a bit of frustration. Um, you know, they, like you said, they did kind of turn up the heat on Mahomes, but he just kept on you know, throwing the ball on time. So you can't get to a quarterback if he's getting rid of the ball as soon as he hits the, the last step of his drop. And then, um, and you know, I think they just played a ton of plays. I mean, it right. felt like the Chiefs offense was on the field for a long, long time. So, you know, after playing that long, you eventually kind of tire out. So, um, you know, I think part of it is a fatigue factor as well. 
And I want to switch over to the Raiders' offensive line. Uh, the week before against the Giants, I thought that they did a really good job. I know uh, Andre James had a really good game, and it just it seemed like they were starting to gel and really come together. And then uh, last night you saw Derek Carr under duress quite a bit. Uh, what did the Chiefs do, in, in your opinion, besides start to get their defense to come together uh, to get to and, and frustrate Derek Carr in that offensive line? Yeah, I think the number one thing is there was a zero running game, which was one of the biggest surprises of the night for me. Um, just because, you know, watching a film the last few weeks, I just thought the Raiders' offensive line was getting a lot better with their run blocking, and they were knocking guys off the line. And this Chiefs' defense is one of the worst run defenses in the league. Uh, but they have made some changes personnel-wise with their linebackers, and I, th- I think the addition of Melvin Ingram is going to be really good for them. Uh, so, but I was just surprised at how bad the run game was. There was zero push. I mean, you know, Josh Jacobs cannot have less than 20 yards rushing the entire game. That's just right. pretty pathetic. And, you know, to ask Derek Carr to just drop back and um, make some of the crazy throws he's made all season, it, it was an unsustainable thing. And we, we've talked about it in the past where, you, you know, you just can't ask a car to do it all. And, you know, he, and I think there's still, there's going to be some fans that blame him for this loss, but I, I just think that this is the way they're playing the beginning of the season was unsustainable and they needed to get some sort of run game going. And this was a game they needed to do it in. And not only did they fail, they failed spectacularly. You know, there was zero running game and it's just hard to play offense when, you know, you're asking your quarterback to do as much as Derek Carr um, was asked to do. And, you, you know, you have to factor in the Henry Ruggs loss as well. He was a big part of his offense. And, you know, I think we got a little bit of a preview of how the offense will look when Deshaun Jackson gets more integrated in this offense. And as you can see, when you have a speedster in this offense, it creates more space for other guys as well. So, you know, I, I think there's a bit of a silver lining there. But um, it, I think, you know, sometimes you get in games where you have to outscore guys and you're in – uh, a shootout, and the Raiders' offense didn't show up tonight. No, no, it really didn't. And you mentioned the run game, and uh, Josh Jacobs, I'm a big fan of his, but he just hasn't really been able to get things going this season. And they bring in Kenyon Drake, and, I mean, he has moments where he flashes, but he wasn't able. I mean, Derek Carr was the leading rusher for the Raiders on Sunday. So, that I mean, that tells you all you need to know. And as far as the wide receivers and the, the weaponry, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones right now, and, of course, Deshaun Jackson is there, but – Ted, I'm not seeing enough separation. That's one of the things that a lot of fans have been tweeting at me. That I haven't seen enough separation from those guys. Uh, and so it's just making life that much more difficult. And really, it's kind of slowing down what they're trying to do with Darren Waller, who hasn't been as effective this season either. Yeah, I mean, I think with Waller, you see a lot of coverages where they have a safety over him. They're, they're game planning to take him away because he's by far the, the Raiders' most just weapon, so it's going to be hard to get in the ball, but in the same vein, um, I mean, when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, teams trying to take away Travis Kelsey, and they find a way to get in the ball, so I, I think there has to be a bigger effort uh, from the coaching staff to find ways to get Waller the ball and not just accept that he's going to be taken away because uh, the, the team is doubling him or, or whatever, and you know, when you just look at the Raiders' um, overall receiving corp, they just don't have a lot of separators. I mean, they have Brian Edwards, but he's more of a size guy yeah. that, that will win by boxing guys out and that sort of deal. So he's not a separator. Hunter Renfro is a guy who could create a lot of horizontal separation with his route running. And, you know, he's been very effective, you know, yeah. and he's, he's going to be continue to be effective, but he's not going to put up, you know, 100 yards stat lines every week. 
And then, you know, you have, um, then you have Dave Jones, who's kind of an intermediate guy. So that, that's why Henry, Henry Ruggs was so integrate, you know, uh, such an integral part of this offense because he was that field stretcher to create space for everyone else and punish the defense if they were going to play up. So, um, that's why it's important to get Deshaun Jackson in this offense as soon as possible. You know, he's only been with the Raiders for four days and it was encouraging to see him, um, get that deep ball, even though that kind of crazy sequence happened afterwards. It just kind of shows that, you know, this guy can still burn defenses. Uh, he still has elite speed. So, um, that's, that's a positive sign for Raiders. Yeah, no, it is. And that's something I noticed uh, from the press box on Sunday night that you saw in the plays that he was in, the handful of plays, you could see him getting down the field and still had that speed. You just want to make sure that he stays healthy throughout the rest of the way. But, yeah, I think he does have a little something left in the tank. And before I let you go, Ted, and we do appreciate your time. This was great. I wanted to ask you about the linebacking core. What do you saw from those guys? Perryman, he's been doing well, uh, usually against the run. He's not that great against the pass, but he's been doing well for the team. Corey Littleton is a you know kind of an adventure and – uh, just what have you seen overall from the linebackers for the Raiders this season? Yeah, I think um, Denzel Perriman has, you know, I think his value is more than just as a run stuffer. I think mm-hmm. he also provides leadership for yeah. this defense and helps, you know, keeps everybody together and, you know, keeps the communication good. Um, so, yeah, he does have some deficiencies in the, in the past game, but uh, he's got his hard to take off the field. And uh, with Corey Littleton, um, you know, even when he was with the Rams, um, he was never a great run stuffer, and his tackling has been um, not not great. I mean, you know, as, as a Ram, he barely missed a tackle, but for some reason with the Raiders, he, he's missed a lot of tackles. So I think he has definitely improved the season, and he, he I think I would say he's been good for most of the season, but his tackling issues definitely uh, showed up in, in this game, and he, he just has to tackle better. I mean, you know, like I mentioned, when you play this style of defense, it's even more important than you get get guys to the ground and keep games to a minimum. You know, Ted, before I let you go, let me ask you about K.J. Wright. He's a guy who I was excited about when the Raiders signed him just because of everything he brought to the table, leadership included. Uh, and I know he's not on the field all the time. He kind of plays that role that's not on the on the field all the time in this, in this scheme, in this defense. But what have you seen from K.J. Wright, and do you expect to see maybe a little bit more of him moving forward? Um, yeah, I think the Raiders want – on the field he doesn't look like he's as fast as he used to be um so um i think that's why he's playing that sandbacker role where he, he, he can be really physical take on lead blocks and play on a strong side and that sort of deal um but you know i i guess i would be curious to see how he might look playing some you know weak side linebacker but i i just think right now from a speed perspective uh little tin is just much faster than him that's that's why they prefer having him on the field uh, but, but I do, I think, you know, Nicholas Moreau, if he does come back at some point this season, uh, I think he could be a uh, impactful player and, you know, even to some, uh, some of Perriman's snaps and maybe even into, uh, Littleton snaps. And I, I, I just think Moreau has proven to be a guy that can cover and he can play the run and he's, you know, really athletic. So, um, I think losing him before the season even started was kind of an underrated loss that they've been, able to kind of hide, but um, I, I think he would have made a, a bigger impact if he was on the field against the Chiefs, and um, if he does come back, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Raiders linebackers play a little bit better. There you go. Great stuff, as always. Ted Nguyen from The Athletic on Twitter at FB underscore Film Analysis. And uh, Ted, anything coming out on The Athletic that Raider fans should be on the lookout for? 
Uh, I'm just watching over the film right now, so I haven't really decided what I'm going to um, write write about just yet. Uh, okay. But uh, I, I did write an article about, you know, I, I have a column every Tuesday called Teaching Tuesday where I, I break down a specific scheme. Nice. And uh, I wrote one about read blitzes um, that um, the Miami Dolphins used to shut down the Ravens on Thursday night football. So be on the lookout for that. All right. Sounds good. Uh, always great stuff, man. I definitely appreciate you, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right, you too. There he goes. Ted Nguyen from The Athletic does a fantastic job on film breakdown and digs a little bit deeper, and that's why we have him on because he'll tell you the nuts and bolts and tell you about some things that I will not tell you about. So I uh, definitely appreciate his time, appreciate his efforts, and again on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis uh, for all those breakdowns and teaching Tuesdays, like he said, uh, check out for that as well. 3.46 is the time. We're still live at the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino preparing for Monday Night Football. The sound is on the TV, so that means it's right around the corner. And we're going to go all the way up to kickoff right here on Radio Nation Radio 920. We're going to be preparing for the Rams and the 49ers, and we're going to do it here. So uh, definitely come on by, hang out with us, have some drinks, have some food, and get ready for some fun football action tonight and get some prizes while you're at it, including UNLV San Diego State game tickets. 3.47 is the time. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Got less than 10 minutes left in hour number two of the show, but don't worry, we're going three hours long, three hours strong, baby. That's how we get down. Underground Lounge is the location inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Damon's got my one of my favorite songs, at least the soundtrack, in the playing in the background. I do appreciate that. We got some fine folks sitting at the bar right now, getting brushing up on some video games and some nice drinks, preparing for the game. And you could be one of them. Got the sports book right behind me. You want to go and put a last minute bet on the game tonight? Go and win you some money. You can make that happen. I have not won any money. I know there was someone who won in the Las Vegas area over the weekend. And they won a lot of money. And my mom texted me and said, are you the anonymous person that won that money? And I said, I would have a terrible job being anonymous. You know me. I get on the radio and be like, I just won. I'm rich. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be that guy. I couldn't keep that to, to myself. Then you'd be, you'd be okay with, you know what I mean? You'd be like, I don't need this job. You could cuss on there. No, no. I would, <laughs> I would, I, I would keep my job. I lo- I, I've never done this job for money. Now, I should not say that on the air because our bosses will say, Q, can you come into the office? We need to give you a, a pay cut. We, we're going to do a little something, something around here. And they'd they find a way to take money you from us. You what you do. You never work a day. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> you, can't, you say that because that's how you feel. But then when someone's like, well, in that case, can we just, you know, can we give a little bit of that back? And you're like, well, I mean, bro's got to eat. You know, I got to eat. But, yeah, no, uh, it, it's, I do. I, I love the job. And radio was never anything I got into for money. Now, if I'm going to make some along the way, I'll take it. But it was never one of those goals. Like, I think I'm going to get rich by working on the radio. <laughs> that is not reality. What is reality is we have uh, my man Mark in South Carolina on hold on the Raider Nation listener line. Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, Q, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, my wife uh, tweeted you last week. Long, long time Raider fan. Um, a little concerned about certain things. But watching that game last night, the thing that probably frustrated me the most was the fact that right in front of refs, Kansas City's offensive linemen were holding, mm-hmm. you know, Ngaway and, and Crosby all night long. And, you know, my wife is uh, quite a bit younger than me, but she believes that there's a possibility that there, 
this the NFL is scripted. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, sometimes when I watch that, I just uh, I get frustrated, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, you know, the impact of losing, uh, you know, that wide receiver is just, I think, an impact on the players more than people know. Um, he, he was he was very close with a lot of the guys, and I just think it had a, a tremendous impact on them. And you know, and I think it's it's showing on the field. So I agree. Good call. Good call. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. And I do agree with that. Uh, I do think that the the impact of not having rugs there is is way more than we'll ever know. I mean, just put yourself in a position of you losing your best friend that you basically saw almost every day and, you know, you, you went to battle with. I mean, again, not trying to give any built-in excuses. I'm not, the, I'm not an excuse maker because at some point you put your big boy pants on and you keep it pushing. But I, I do think that it is impactful, especially the way that it all shook out. I, I do think it is an impact. And um, I, I saw a lot of those holding last night as well. Uh, Crosby was just – I mean, there was multiple times he was tackled, not even held, just tackled. And it was funny, uh, he was asked in the post-game media session about his 15-yard penalty he got, and it was a frustration penalty, obviously. And he was asked, well, what, what were you so frustrated about? He just kind of said, you're not going to get me to say something. You're not setting me up to say that, and you're not going to get me to talk bad about the officials. Like, I mean, because you can't. If you talk bad about the officiating, then someone's going to get a fine. Someone, and, and so that was smart of him by not uh, speaking on the officials. But uh, just his look and his body language lets you know all you need to know. Uh, a lot of those, and I don't understand what it is. Because even going back to Khalil Mack, he used to get held all the time. And then you see guys get held all the time. And it's just as strange that you never see the Raiders consistently get those holding penalties called in their favor. They'll get them called against them. Oh, yeah, they'll throw the flag for Brandon Parker. They'll throw the flag for Alex Leatherwood or Colton Miller. But it's rare that it happens when Crosby's getting really just held and choked out and or whatever. I mean, it's so obvious. I, I, I wish I had an answer and said, that, well, this is the reason why. But I, I just I couldn't do you like that. I couldn't even try to fix my face to lie to you and act like I knew because it it's, so, it's confusing to me as well. Um, got a text from uh, Jerry. Says, hey, Q, this is Jerry. Waller's not a number one just because Carr isn't getting him the ball 90% of the time like the first game. Get out of here. You know how fast people would take Waller off our hands? Give me a break. And Casey Hayward is ranked in the top two in DBs in the whole NFL. Miss me with that argument from the last caller. And I, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I can't remember exactly what argument it was. Uh, one, of the, one of the previous callers, can I remember the name, but he did say Darren Waller's not a number one. He was like, ah, basically it was like, a, Darren Waller's not even looking that good this season type of uh, argument. Oh, okay, okay. No, he's definitely, yeah, he's definitely the number one target. I just think at some point that they need to, like I t- told Ed Graney in the first hour, they need to try to force feed him the ball a little bit more. And, and I get it. There's going to be guys that are going to try to take him away, but every superstar in the league, someone tries to take away. I just feel like at some point you've got to make an effort to get him the rock. And, you know, it's funny. I did remember hearing, you know, lack of, effort or lack of weapons. But at first, when the season started, it was like weapons, weapons was, uh, was something that the team had this year. So, uh, you know, they lost obviously a massive one. But you would think that there would be someone that's able to step up and, and be a difference maker. Uh, hopefully Deshaun Jackson and his speed helps contribute to that. But uh, it's just tough to figure out, man. And, and I'm sure of all the people on that team, Waller would love to break out and have a huge monster day. Like Travis Kelsey was so fired up last night. I got my, my swagger back. He started dancing on the field. I'm sure Darren Waller probably wouldn't dance like that. But I'm sure Darren Waller would love to have that breakout game as well where it's like, man, 
I'm back. You know, it's just it just hasn't happened. So uh, thank you so much, Matt, uh, Mark, excuse me, for that call. I do appreciate you, and I do remember when your wife tweeted, uh, said you guys moved from Cali to, and she put SC, and I thought, he's, I thought they meant Southern California, and they meant South Carolina. So that was just a little off, just a few miles off on my SCs, but it's all good, just a little bit. 358 is the time. When we come back, Rich Masaccia, he met with the media earlier. For some reason, it wasn't streamed. It's okay. We have it for you, and you'll hear it next here on Radio Nation Radio 920.